Shalom, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Mormon Kabbalah Podcast. We are now on the third day of creation. In the book of Remembrance, chapter 3, starting in verse 19, we read, And Elohim said unto the only begotten, and Michael, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. And they, the gods, lowercase g, under the direction of Yuvah and Michael, ordered, saying, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and it was so. And Elohim said, Let there be dry land. Yea, and let the earth come up dry. And it was so as they ordered in the name of the only begotten. And Elohim called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called the sea. And the gods, lowercase g, too pronounced the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters pronounced they great waters. And the gods, lowercase g, saw that they were obeyed. And Elohim saw that all things which had been made were good. And Elohim said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, and the tree yielded fruit, whose seed should be in itself upon the earth. And the gods, lowercase g, organized the earth to bring forth grass from its own seed, and the herb to bring forth herb from its own seed, yielding seed after his kind. I'm going to pause there for a moment to mention that in Hebrew, the earth is considered female or feminine, while the plants are considered male or masculine. The animals are considered male or masculine. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But since it says yielding seed after his kind, I thought I would go ahead and note that now. And they caused the earth to bring forth the tree from its own seed, yielding fruit, whose seed could only bring forth the same in itself after his kind. And it came to pass that they numbered the days from the evening until the morning they called night. And it came to pass from the morning until evening they called day. And this was the third time. And the evening and the morning were, by the reckoning of the time of the gods, lowercase g, the third day. There's quite a bit to get into here, but I want to start with the obvious symbolisms. We have the water, which we've already discussed, is mercy. We have the earth, and when we talk about the heavens and the earth, we've already discussed the fact that the heavens are the creator's desire to bestow, and the earth is our egotistical will to receive, whether that be good or bad. Our goal is to transform the earth so that the light of the creator embeds us with the desire to receive what God has for us, rather than merely trying to get whatever it is that we want. Now we're talking about the earth coming up out of the water. Now we have a new symbolism for earth. You remember I mentioned that the earth was feminine in Hebrew. The earth also represents the divine feminine. It represents our Heavenly Mother, for those that see the Divine Feminine in that way. We call the Father, Father, so in my mind, we call the Mother, Mother. And we can see this throughout the scriptures. This isn't just a Kabbalistic idea. In the Book of Mormon, we have the Tree of Life that Lehi sees in a dream, and Nephi sees that same tree in a vision. 
In chapter two of the RAV, which would be the Book of Mormon used by Community of Christ and the other branches of the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, chapter eight for the OPV, which would be the Brighamite Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints version of the Book of Mormon, we read, and it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. This is Lehi's dream. Now, in chapter 3 of the RAV, chapter 11 of the OPV, we have Nephi's interpretation of the stream. And Nephi asks, what is the meaning of the tree that his father sees? Now, I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead a little bit because you'll remember that I mentioned that plant life is masculine. While that is true to the ancient Hebrews, including the Israelites, the idea of a tree represented the divine feminine, particularly a white tree, which is, of course, what we see in Lehi's dream. So Nephi says, what is this tree? He wants to know the interpretation thereof. And so the spirit says, look, and the tree becomes this virgin, fair and white. Now, by white here, that doesn't mean Caucasian. It means pure, unblemished in a scriptural sense, purified from sin or sanctified. And by virgin, one way of defining that would be a woman who's not a mother. However, in a scriptural sense, we are referring to someone who is pure, someone who is undefiled spiritually. So the tree becomes this woman, so showing that Mary the mother of Christ represents the divine feminine, the mother, just as Jesus represents the father. So with that symbolism out of the way, let's take a look at what's happening here and what it means for us as we're studying in meditation through Teshiva, the third day of creation. Now, as we know, in the first week of Teshiva, this is the meditation where we Fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. At this point, we want to find out what it is that God wants for us, right? It's that time of self-reflection. It's the time when we write that new prayer or add to the prayer written upon our hearts. We're ready to cleanse our clea, Hebrew for vessel, and purify our hearts as we grow in grace to be born again in Jesus Christ, which will come in the second week. So after the second day, we've had that light of mercy from the water. So now we, we want to begin the process of bearing fruit from our new desires. One of the things that's interesting here about the idea of the earth is that there's different types of earth, right? There's the desert with the cracked earth where plants don't grow, and then there's the lush jungles and fields full of life. And the earth inside of us, our desires, will grow plants based on the amount of and the quality of water. So this is why the earth has to come up out of the water, because otherwise it's just mud, right? Yeah, there's plants that grow under the water. But to have a full range of life, we have to have plants under the water. We have to have plants on the land. We have to have plants in the land itself, just all over the earth, we have to have life. And keep in mind, in the hottest or coldest deserts, there's still some sort of life there. 
The question is, what is the quality of that life? The more water there is, the more mercy there is, the more abundant the life. But then let's look at the North and South Pole. You want to talk about water, but that mercy is frozen. Like it's like a time capsule. So that, that water's got to keep moving. It's got to keep flowing. Even though it says, even though it says, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, that water still ebbs and flows. It's still in motion. It's still getting that oxygen that it needs. Now we combine the water, the mercy, with the earth, which is our desires, and it's also wisdom. And together, this is going to bear fruit. So at this point, we want a gentle rain to fall down and water our desires. If it's a raging storm, it's just going to destroy the topsoil. It's going to rip the plants away and destroy our desires. So we've got to start slow, and that's what we're doing on this first day. We're meditating on that gentle rain to discover and grow the desires the Lord wants us to have. When we pray, I feel like, and I'm going to go with two extremes here, but we have two different ideas here as we define prayer. On the one hand, we have this idea that God is like a genie. He exists to grant us wishes, and that, of course, is ridiculous. God doesn't work for us. We work for the creator. We are the creation. The other side is that pure altruistic quality where we are asking God, what, what do you want for me? What should I pray for? A brother in a denomination I used to belong to gave a really good talk once where he said that he was deciding between two jobs and was leaning towards one. He got on his knees, asked God for confirmation, and God said, well, you already know what you want to do. He said that that really hit him. He, it taught him, taught me as well. That was brilliant. Yes, we need to make our own decisions. Yes, we need to think for ourselves. And yes, yeah, sometimes we are just coming to God for confirmation, but we've got to do so in humility. He knew what he wanted. He was really just looking for permission. And God was telling him, you need to open yourself up. What if I don't want you to do either of these things? So our desires are going to come small in this first week because we're trying to figure out what they are. We're going to have grass, gentle grass. We're going to have the buddings of small trees. We're not going to have giant oaks or massive redwoods. Our righteous desires have to grow into that. And then they'll be able to withstand the storm of God's mercy. And that takes us to day three in week two, when we're born again. We're going back to Keter, the topmost crown of the tree of life, the highest sephirot, the one that is the incomprehensible, the infinite. But we're able to grasp that even as finite beings through the power of God. We now have earth. We now have wisdom. And that helps us to understand the infinite as finite beings just a little bit more. Because now the earth is showing up in that mercy, in that water. So on the third day, now we must clothe our ignorance. The rain comes and the growth begins inside of us. The dry land is earth, hakma, the wisdom of the Shekinah. 
Shekinah is a Hebrew term for the congregation or the presence of God. It's interesting because it references both the divine feminine and it represents us as the bride of Christ. So now wisdom has given birth within us as God's mercy in answers to our prayer. Our clothing is now those fig leaves of our altruistic actions. We're moved by grace to do good works. We know what they are because we've been washed clean by the mercy and we have the wisdom of the earth. And so now those works are these plants that are growing. And by our fruits, they will know us, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16 through 20. When we're born as babies, we cry. We learn how to communicate through our cries to tell our parents what we need and want when our diapers are dirty, when we're hungry. And eventually that grows with us. We're able to communicate better and take and begin taking care of ourselves. Likewise, our desires as we're born again are going to have to start with the plants. They're going to have to start with the grass and become trees and so on and so forth before we can have stronger vegetation and even animals. In a spiritual sense, the life inside of us gets more and more complex as we move forward. Now in week three of Teshuvah, the return, we now enter the Sephirot of Gevurah. That's Hebrew for strength, but it generally refers to the judgment of God, the Holy Spirit. Because we've been born again, we're able to enter Gevurah, which is the essence of Din. That's Arabic for way of life. We are now being placed in the fire of the potter after being reshaped. Our clay vessel has been reformed. If we have been properly born again, then rather than condemn and destroy us, these changes will be burnt into us. And so part of that is confession. Now remember, it's in this week that the moon begins to wane and starts getting smaller again. So because we have been born again and washed clean we recognize our sins and appreciate them in a deeper way. So we have to confess them to God. So just as vegetation springs from the ground on the third day, we are bearing the fruit of our confession. We've separated the lands from the seas, the guilt and shame, admitting what we've done to ourselves, to God and those that we have harmed. And this is important because as part of the process, we can't just say, I'm good now, and not regret what we've done. If we truly have the love of God inside of us, we will feel some amount of pain, which is the guilt and shame, for things that we have done wrong. We may recognize them in the first or second week. But in this third week, we begin to humbly recognize our own misdeeds. And, and this doesn't need to be a guilt that destroys us. Remember, God's building us up. This is Teshuvah. We're trying to return back from where we came. To do that, we must recognize our true selves. And our true selves are embarrassed by the sinful things that we have done. But what is sin? Sin, as defined in Hebrew, is missing the mark. So let's just realign. Let's confess so that we can realign and start moving forward again on Teshuvah, which we're obviously doing because we're on week three, right? 
And that's going to lead us to the third day in week four. Now, keep in mind, I'm, the way I'm doing this is obviously each day in a week. At some point, I'll likely redo all this so you can say this is what each day is week by week. And that direction is actually on the blog. If you go to mormoncabal.com, you can see each week one at a time. But I'm lumping these together because in the book of remembrance, that's that's how it is. It's It's lumped in one day of creation at a time. So I'm going to go over each one and tell you week by week how it's done. This last week, the restoration is Hesed. This is when that mercy, which has flown through us, can now flow out of us. That light, that kindness, that love of God can now shine forth out into the world, creating Tekanolam, the repairing of the world. This is the foundation of the law. This is the foundation of Keter, that love, that love of God and love for our neighbors. Leviticus 19, 18, 33, and 34, Matthew 5, 43, and 48, also Matthew 22, 36, and 40. And of course, that's echoed again in the Book of Mormon in 3 Nephi 5, 89 through 92, RAV 12, 43 through 48, OPV. That is the definition of perfection, the love that we have for our neighbors, for everyone, including our enemies. So this is that healing portion of Teshuvah. And again, we've gone over this. It has the two parts. It completes the return by healing us, and it also goes out into the world to heal those that have been spiritually harmed by others. And that can be, again, the harm that we've done to others or the harms that others have done to us. So on the third day, we're talking about works, that vegetation springs up in us, causing us to take action. Now, again, I, I believe I've mentioned this before, but works and ordinances are not exactly the same thing. An ordinance can be a work, but not every work is an ordinance. So that action we take may be baptism, it may be taking the sacrament, but it's also being there to support someone in need giving someone of your time, doing everything that we do out of love. When we're the ones that harm others, we're moved by God here in a work to admit our mistakes. And we did that in confession. The last portion of that, though, is to work to heal those we have harmed as we're moved to do so by the Holy Spirit. We can't do that of fear, depression, anxiety, or egoism. It has to be out of Christ-like love. It has to be because it's what they need, not what we need, not what we want for them. So while it's by grace that we are saved, that salvation moves us into action. And, and we can talk about this all day, but as human beings, we like to divide things up. Grace or works, salvation or exaltation. But the reality is that the same thing. Grace is salvation, works are exaltation, and you cannot have one without the other. We're moved to do the works because we've been exalted. And it's by doing these works that shows to us, to God, to the world, to anyone with the eyes to see it, that we are filled with the grace and have been saved. To explain that a little bit, let's look at it in another way. If grace is 
erases sin, purifying us in Christ's mercy, making us holy again. On a pencil, that would be the eraser. If we had some sort of ginormous piece of paper with all the deeds we've ever done, it would erase everything, making that paper white again. As a reference, you can see Isaiah 118, our sins, though they be as scarlet, will become white as wool. But we don't stop living at the moment that we are saved. And that's why we need each of these steps in Teshuvah. Yes, the grace will continue to erase our sins from the paper as we repent. But if we're not doing works, that paper is blank, unfilled. So the pencil with its lead records our deeds. If we travel the path of works alone, then our, all of our works will be written down, right? So we'll have this weaving of sins and things we've been moved by the grace of God to do. And then what? In the Egyptian records, we read that there was the scale that you had to stand on, and it would balance the good versus the evil works. But in Christianity, even one sin misses the mark and keeps us from God's presence. And you can read Romans 3.23 to explain that. So how do we tip the scales? Romans 3.24, the next verse, tells us we use the eraser provided by Christ. I like this analogy of a pencil because a pencil is two halves. Yes, you can just have an eraser. Yes, you can just have a pencil. But what, what good is one without the other? That's why you buy pencils with eraser on it. To say that we have grace without the proper works to prove the grace shows that we are empty. To say that we have works without the grace leaves us there in sin. And that is why I believe James said, quote, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that's James 2.26. And I believe that this is why faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ specifically, is our access to grace and the first step towards our salvation. In the fellowship of Christ, we have our constitution, which is 14 articles of our faith. The fourth article of our faith says that we believe the first principles and ordinance of the gospels are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, repentance. Third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. Fourth, laying on of hands for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And fifth, the Lord's Supper or communion. Without that first principle, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, why would we repent? Once we've repented, of course we're going to want to be baptized. Of course we're going to want to lay on of hands. Of course we're going to want to continue growing in Christ and taking the sacrament of communion. But this isn't something we do once. This is literally Teshua. We come closer to Christ as we grow in grace day by day, week by week. We repent constantly as the Lord corrects us. We are baptized symbolically through every Teshuvah meditation that we go through. We receive the Holy Spirit over and over again as we deepen our relationship with God. And we meditate as we take the sacrament of communion finding the things that we need to do to grow closer to our God. 
Now at this point, you'll notice we have been talking very personally and not really addressing the ministry. And once again, I would remind you, if we're not doing this, we can't teach others. But at the same time, there are a number of things with this third day that we can use in our ministry. The first being the understanding of the unity between grace and works, the unity between salvation and exaltation. While the world wants to separate them out, in our ministry, we must remember that they are one and we must use them as one. In addition, in the third week, confession. Confession isn't always something we can do alone. As ministers, people will come to us for counseling, for hurts that they don't believe they're worthy of repenting from. And you're also going to counsel those that are hurt so badly to no fault of their own. And we can, through the spirit of prophecy and revelation, help these people become whole again. Not through anything that you or I can do. It's all done through the atonement of Christ. As representatives of Christ, we can help them use the atonement properly, grab hold of it, and deepen their personal relationship with God. It's easy just to tell people, oh, you're forgiven. But what if they didn't do anything wrong? And what if after saying so, they don't feel it? As ministers, what we say can have a great impact, but we can't just say things and hope that there is an impact. We must take these things upon ourselves and mourn with those that mourn and rejoice with those that rejoice. We can't just offer absolution to those that confess. Sometimes we just have to hold their hand and let them struggle through it. What's important then is that they know they are not alone in the fight. They know it isn't just them and what they may perceive as an invisible God against the world because the Lord sent you to help them through it. It is my prayer that as you go through this third day of Teshuva in each week, as you go through this third day of the creation and each week of Teshuva, that you will not only accept that mercy, the water, everyone loves the mercy from day two, but you will accept the wisdom of the earth. And that through the water, that earth, that soil will be bountiful and spring up desires of love for the creation of God, because that is the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll talk about the fourth day of creation when the sun, the moon, the stars are given to light our path and our way. Until then, shalom and God bless.